church. Really, really good to be with you this morning. Uh, let me invite you to go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. We're going to be in uh, chapter 4, 1 John. And if you are a guest, we're really glad you're here today. and want to welcome you. Uh, we've been walking through 1 John together as a church about the last six or seven weeks or so. And we're coming in on final approach with 1 John. We've got this Sunday and then two more weeks and uh, we'll wrap up this great letter that we call First John uh, this morning. And it's been great to hear what God's doing in our groups. And as we've wrestled through this book together in life group. And then as you're reading through, I hope you've been reading through First John. We've provided a reading plan for you. So if you're kind of behind, you've got a couple weeks to get caught up maybe. And we'll finish together in a few weeks. And also, if you're looking for a study group to connect, uh, Wednesday night, 6.30, behind the message. For the last few weeks, it's been really good as we've gone behind and dug a little deeper uh, into the Sunday morning message. That's Wednesday night at 6.30. If you're looking for a place to connect, that's a great place for you on Wednesday night. Now, uh, we're going to continue this theme that we've really started this morning about love. We're we'll talking about this whole idea of love this morning. And I want to remind you, as we dig into 1 John, if you've kind of been away or maybe forget the context, remember, the Apostle John is writing to a group of believers in churches. And the problem is there, there's been some fakes that have infiltrated their ranks. Some false teachers have gotten in there among the brothers and sisters in Christ. And they've been teaching things that are just not true. Posers, if you will, as Pastor Daniel calls them. These fakes have gotten in there. and John writes this letter to correct some error. There's been these false teachers that say one thing and claim one thing, and then their life is completely something different. They claim to have this incredible relationship with God and know God, but their life looks no different from the world around them. And John says, time out, that can't be. Some of these teachers were saying, man, we, we've met God and we have a relationship with God, but nothing in their life demonstrates the love of God toward his people. And John says, time out, it can't be that way. So we're going to explore this a little bit this morning. And before we, to be realized, before we get to chapter 4 and verse 7, we're going to back all the way up to Genesis chapter 1. You say, oh man, we're going to be here a while. So hang on, we're going to be like three hours. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's an hour. No, don't worry. Some of you are really nervous right now. Just trust me. It'll be all right. So let me begin with this question this morning. How many, how many humans do we have in the room this morning? Well, man, some of you are not sure. You don't have any idea. How many, by a show of hands, how many human beings do we have in the room this morning? All right, 100% of you. About 99% actually, but anyway, so every human being shares something in common. You're here this morning and you are a human, you have something that's true about you, that's true of all other human beings, and here it is, that deep inside of you, no matter of your upbringing, your gender, your socioeconomic status, where you're from, the color of your skin, any of that, deep inside of you is a desire to love and to be loved, all of you. Now that may manifest itself a little bit differently in some of us. The human heart cries for love more than anything else. 
We desire to be known. We desire to be valued. We desire to be accepted, to be treasured. And deep inside of us, we really want to love other people that way too. God has placed this within you. This desire to love and be loved. Now, how do we know God put that there? Well, this is the Genesis part. You don't have to turn there, but Genesis 1.26, back at the very beginning, you know what happened. There was nothing. God created something, and then God created all that he created. Then he created man and woman. He created humans. Genesis 1.26 says this, Then God said, let us make mankind, man, humans, in our image according to our likeness. So God created human beings. It says he created human beings in his likeness. What does that mean? Well, it means a lot, but it basically means man alone was created to be like God. Humans uniquely have the image of God. Humans uniquely have the capacity to think abstractly. Humans have the capacity of self-awareness. Humans have the capacity to appreciate beauty, to feel emotion, to acquire wisdom, and to love and be loved. Now you say, hang on, Pastor Mike. My dog Fluffy is pretty smart, and my dog Fluffy shows me love like nobody's business. Well, Fluffy does respond to your love as long as you take care of Fluffy and feed Fluffy. But if you don't, Fluffy will go somewhere else and find somebody who can feed him. I'm not so sure animals can show the kind of love humans can. In fact, they can't because we alone possess the image of God. And I'll tell you this, I'm sure cats don't show love. There's no doubt. Now, you cat lovers, you can send your emails to Pastor Gene. He'd love to hear him, but I don't want to hear it. Now listen, here's the point. Humans alone have the capacity to love and to be loved. Why? Because we're created in the very image of God. God forever and ever and ever and ever has existed in perfect, perfect triune love of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in perfect interpersonal relationship with one another forever. God has never existed outside of perfect love, ever. Love in and of itself is a relational term. It's not an isolated term about just one. It must happen in community. The community has been the Trinity forever. God did not create because he lacked love or someone to love. It's existed forever in the Trinity. But God, as an expression of that love, created human beings uniquely with the capacity to love and to be loved. And then you know what happened. Genesis chapter 3, God plants Adam and Eve in the garden where he could show perfect love for them, perfect relationship with them, and sin enters the world, right? Fractured everything. As a result of the sin of mankind, man, Adam and Eve were no longer able to even receive the perfect love of God. And the love that they had for one another became a selfish type love. Our love naturally becomes selfish. It drifts towards selfishness. That's our human fallen state. And naturally left to ourselves, we will even resist and fight against the love of God. You know how I know that? Because God walked into the garden, Adam and Eve were there, he walked into the garden like he always had, and Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of God. 
Apart from Jesus Christ, we do the same thing. Sin distorts our capacity to love and to be loved as God intended all human beings. There is within every human being this longing, though, to know the kind of perfect love that God has for us and to demonstrate that perfect love. We long for that. So the gospel... The message of God's rescue plan, Romans 5, 8. In all that, God determines, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us to redeem us from that fallen, broken state to the place where we could know and experience his perfect love again. It's the gospel. Now, the beauty of something I want you to see this morning, and I want to take this to the next level, is For those who have received Christ Jesus by faith and been redeemed up out of our fallen state, who know the love of God, Romans 5.5 says this about you and about me. Romans 5.5, go ahead and put it up there. It says, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. If you're a child of God, you now are able to receive the perfect love of God that Paul says in Romans 5.5. Man, listen, it has been poured out in you through the Spirit of God who dwells in you. The word poured out literally means abundance. It means without measure. You are the recipients of the perfect sacrificial love of God in your life. It is poured out in your life. Amen. Now with that in mind, that we as now redeemed human beings, we alone have the capacity to receive and to demonstrate God-like love to the world. John or Paul here in Romans 5, 5, he, he uses a certain word for love. And if you've ever studied the word love in the Bible, you probably know this. But in the Greco-Roman world of that day, there were several different words for love. We only have one, L-O-V-E, love. But in that day, there were multiple. There was the word eros that could be translated love. And it basically means the love of passion, the sexual type of love. And the world knows that. There's the, love, there's the word phileo, which means friendship love, and it's a good thing, and the, and the world knows that, but that's not the word Paul uses here or John uses. They use the word agape, which distinctly means, what's this, God-like love. The kind of love that doesn't come natural, the kind of love that you're not going to grow into, you're not going to be taught this kind of love, it is supernaturally deposited in you through the Spirit of God because this type of love has its source in God and God alone. And with all that, if you will, theology of love, I wanted to give you a little bit of background. Then we come to 1 John chapter 4, and it makes a little more sense why John says some of the things he says to these believers in 1 John chapter 4. Understanding that the world may know some measure of love. The world understands forms of love. But agape, God-like love, is uniquely that of the people of God to receive and to demonstrate to the world. God-like love. So, say, Pastor Mike, that's a big old introduction. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. John says to the believers... Beloved. You know, right away, his heart is just flowing. And he says, Beloved, or you who are loved, love one another. 
Beloved, let us love one another. And with all that background, we ought to read that as the people of God and go, oh, that's not just a song we sing. It's not just a cute little verse we memorize. We, as the people of God who have been redeemed, God has shed his love abroad in our hearts. We alone, because of the Spirit of God in us, have the capacity to love like this. John says, listen, let us love agape, God-like love one another. For, verse 7, love is from God. Finds its source in God. It originates in God. Therefore, any worldview that expels God from the equation cannot come back on the other side and even have a discussion about love. It's impossible. Because love is from God. He goes on and he says, and this gets really convicting, he says, okay, The one who does not love does not know God. Now remember, if you've been with us over the past few weeks, you've probably gotten sick and tired of me saying this little phrase, verb tenses matter. Remember that? Verb tenses matter. This is present tense and basically what John's saying in verse 8. The person whose life is consistently ongoing, characterized by lack of God-like love, cannot come back around and say he knows God can't why in the verse 8 because God is love God is love verse 9 by this the love of God was manifested in us or better translation is among us that God has sent his only one-of-a-kind begotten son into the world so that we might live through him In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. Now we're going to spend some time breaking these verses down and dive down into these verses. But let me just give you a big truth. And this is kind of going to be our rudder or our anchor to steer us this morning. The big truth is this. Based on what we just read in 1 John, that is this. God's people who know the perfect love of God will be known by supernatural, sacrificial love for one another. And I'm just telling you, I wrote that thing, but it's extremely convicting. Amen? I mean, I've wrestled with it all week to ask myself personally, I'm getting ready to get up and preach about the supernatural, sacrificial love of God before a group of people as if I perfectly practiced that nowhere near and ask myself, Lord, am I growing in this kind of love? Lord, is my life characterized by this kind of love? Is this true of me? Because according to 1 John, consistently our lives as believers because of God in us will be characterized by a love that the world cannot understand. Supernatural, sacrificial love of God. Now, we're going to give you three different ways that John says we can love like this. I'm going to try to give you some practical handles. But before I do that, I did a little research this week on the early church. You know, John's writing here in early, uh, around 70, 80 AD, something like that. In the early church, for the first three centuries, the church grew from 120 disciples to 3,000 disciples. And then by 300 AD, the church had spread throughout the Roman world. There were followers of Christ all over the Roman world within 300 years. How'd that happen? 
We know it happened by their bold proclamation of the gospel, their bold proclamation of the love of Christ. But historians also tell us that it happened because the world saw a love that they had never seen before. Uh, uh, Tertullian, who was an early church father, said this. He wrote about the way the Romans saw this weird group called the church. said this, the Romans would exclaim of the believers, see how they love one another. The world would look in and they would see the interactions among these Christians and how they treated one another and sacrificed for one another and loved one another. And their reaction was, we don't understand what they're talking about. They do weird stuff, but man, they love one another. And it was that love, the the spoken gospel, watch this, and the visible gospel lived out that drew in those who didn't know Christ and God used it to bring them to himself. Justin Martyr described the early church this way about someone who followed Christ. He says, We who used to value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else now bring what we have into a common fund and we share it with our brothers and sisters, anyone who has need. We used to hate and destroy one another who were not like us. We refused to associate with people of another race or another culture or another ethnicity. But now, because of Christ, we are together with such people who are different from us because of Jesus. Love. That the world does not see anywhere else. So the question, man, as I'm reading through this this week, and maybe even you as you sit there this morning, okay, Lord, how can I love like that? How in my life can be manifest and demonstrated a supernatural, sacrificial, God-like love? I'll give you three ways from the text right here. Number one. I'll just give these to you in big ideas. So here's big idea number one is this. God's people love because God is love. It starts with who God is. Just like our family discipleship plan, as you're walking your children through that early on, the whole idea of the family discipleship plan is who is God? God is. God is. God is. Here John says, your understanding of love and how to live it out begins with who God is. John says, verse 7, beloved, let us love one another. For love, it's from God. The source of this kind of love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, verse 8. And the one who does not love does not know God. Why do you say that, John? Because God is love. I don't want us to just pass by this. This is one of those moments that you just have to stop. And, and Lord, by your Spirit, help me to understand you more of who you are. The Bible, God reveals himself and says, this is who I am. I am am love it's not that God operates by a standard of love God says okay I'm not sure how I'm going to deal with Mike and his family and all that so I've got this book over here that describes love and I'm going to go okay here's what I better do that's what, okay no 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 God has never made a decision to act in love instead everything God does is an expression of his love because God is love and it's very essence, the very core within the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit existed in perfect love forever and ever and ever. God doesn't have to decide to be loving. Everything he does is perfectly loving. He's God. God is love. One commentator said, love is not one of God's activities. All his activity is loving activity because God is love. Listen, that's huge in our practical application of our life. Lord, then 
God, why have you given me this into my life? Why have you brought this whatever, person, situation, difficulty, challenge, whatever, why have you brought this into my life? Love. God, why have you withheld this thing from my life? Why are you keeping this thing from me? Love. God, why am I going through this season of pain and struggle and you just fill in the blank, whatever that is? The answer is always love because God cannot toward his people act apart from love. Why? Because God is love. God is love. And the amazing thing is, and don't miss this, and then here's what John says. It is this God by his spirit that dwells in you. So the notion that someone can say, hey, I know God. Hey, I've had an experience with God. And there is no demonstration in their life of God-like love toward their brothers and sisters. John says, time out. Doesn't work that way. It's impossible. Impossible. See that? Perfect, supernatural, sacrificial love has existed within the Trinity forever. And now because of Christ in you, His Spirit in you, you now have the capacity to demonstrate that type of perfect love in you. Because God is in you and God is love. God is love. See that? Oh man, that ought to encourage us and challenge us this morning. Secondly, not only is God love, which enables us to love. Secondly, God's people love because God has demonstrated perfect love. This is huge. I don't know about you, but I kind of need a picture sometimes, right? I mean, if you want me to fix something, you hand me an, an instruction manual and say, okay, here's 14 steps, uh, and then there's, you know, written in four different languages and all that. I'm going to have a hard time fixing it. But if you give me a YouTube video, we got something going on, right? Here's what it looks like to do that. There's never a time in the life of a believer that we can say, hey, I don't really know what love looks like. You can't say that. There's never a season in your life that goes, well, I may not know exactly how it applies in this situation, but God, by sending His Son, Jesus, has forever given us the perfect, perfect demonstration of supernatural, sacrificial, God-like love. He's given us that picture. Now listen, sometimes we still wrestle with it and we still, man, I'm not sure what love looks like. I, I, I did a little research and I found this thing that uh, three different or four different kids all under the age of 10 wrote in what they believe love looked like. This is fun. So Chrissy, age six, said, love, love is when you go out to eat and you give somebody your french fries and you don't make them give any of their french fries back to you. That's love. Look at that. Noel said, love is when you, <laughs> this is a little girl, she said, love is when you tell a boy that you really like his shirt and then he wears it for the next week. That's love. <laughs> Marianne Forrest said, love is when your puppy licks you in the face even though you've left him at home all day. <laughs> you notice she didn't say kitty. And then this one, Rebecca, age eight, says, When my grandmother got arthritis, she could no longer bend down and even paint her toenails. So my grandfather does it for her. Even when his hands got arthritis, he continued to bend down and paint her toenails. I think that's love. So what does God love, God-like love look like? God's given us a picture. Verse 9, by this... 
the love of God was manifested among us. The word manifest is this, that God's painted a picture. God's given you and me a forever picture to look at and say, okay, that's what perfect, selfless, God-like love looks like. He says that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. So here's the point. I, I want to get down in the foxhole a little bit where life gets really messy for just a second, okay? Y'all with me? So how can I take this verse and apply it to every area of my life? Because if the gospel has transformed your life, then it will impact every area of your life. So John says, by this we know what love looks like. And here's, follow me in verse 9. He says that God has sent... Okay, John, help me then. What does God-like love look like? Okay, follow this. That God has sent. All right, then that means God-like love is active. It's not passive. God was not passive in his love. God did not stay in the recesses of heaven. God acted toward you. God acted toward us. So in your life, God-like love takes action. It initiates. It's not passive. He says, God sent his only son. God, like love, sacrifices. In other words, God was willing to give up the most precious thing to him, his only son, Jesus, to fulfill the covenant he had made, to keep his promise, to redeem you and me. Take that to see this. True God-like love sacrifices even what is most precious to us. Now listen. That means as God lives in us and we learn the sacrificial nature of God's love for us, the world ought to be able to look in and go, man, how they love each other. Look what they're willing to sacrifice for one another. Their time. You say, Pastor Mike, hold on. You're getting a little too personal now. You don't know how precious my time is. If you think for one second your time is more precious than the Son of God, Help us, Lord. Sacrifice our resources and sacrifice our treasures and give for the benefit of one another to the glory of God. God sent His only Son. God-like God love sacrifices. Right? Into the world. God sent His only Son into the world, verse 9. God-like love is unconditional. Because God didn't send his son into a world that was cheering and saying, yes, come save us, Lord. It wasn't into a world of six-year-old little boys and girls singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. It was into a world of rebels raising our fists to God saying, we don't even want your love. Right? Because our natural bent is we do not receive the love of God. We resist the love of God and it's only by his spirit and his grace that he opens our heart to even receive the love of God. His love is unconditional. And you could put it this way, and this is going to challenge some of us and help some of us. God's love is never 50-50. In other words, covenant love of God, God sent his own son into the world, is not okay. They got 50% of the deal, and if they do, I'll keep my 50% of the deal. That's not the way covenant, unconditional love operates. It is 100% even when you give zero. 
And by the way, if you'll take that little nugget right there and by the grace of God in you, apply it to some marriages and human relationships, your life will be radically different. Marriage is not 50-50. Relationships are not 50-50. Friendships are not 50-50. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. Therefore, we have the capacity. I'm going to give 100% even when you give nothing. You say, I don't know if I can do that. That's the love demonstrated by the gospel of Jesus coming to us. That's the gospel. So keep going. He says, verse 9, he says, God sent his own son into the world so that we might live. God-like love seeks the good of others even at our own cost. He says, he sent him into the world so that we might live to our benefit. In other words, God-like love operating in relationships is this. I want you to benefit. I want you to succeed. I want you to prosper. And I'm willing to lay down whatever I have to for your benefit, for your good. And let me just assure you, we do not come into the world thinking that way. And if you don't know that, you, have, you may not have a bunch of children running around your house like I do. Listen, when there's eight pieces of bacon on the table, my kids are not like, hey, no, brother and sister, you take my bacon, please. It's, can I have the first piece of bacon? In other words, we naturally do not sacrifice for the good of others. That is God-like love in us. It's God-like love. That's not what the love of the world is. That is agape, God-like love. And then finally, just some, this is so challenging. He says he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, verse 10. In other words, God-like love always operates in truth. In other words, God sent his son, and he didn't wink at our sin. He knew we were broken. He called sin what it was. He did not compromise on it anyway, but he perfectly loved us and absorbed our very sin into himself by taking his sin on, us, on himself. In other words, perfect love never compromises truth. It is just so unbiblical to say, I just love him too much to say something like that that might hurt him. I love little Junior too much to wear his rear end out when he's disobeying his parents. Listen, Proverbs goes as far to say, listen, you're not showing love to little Junior. What's this? Whether little Junior's 9 or 19 or 39, we need to love one another with the truth. God somehow in his perfect economy of who he is always operates in perfect love and always operates in perfect justice and righteousness and truth. If you have the idea that, well, love always wins out and God will compromise for the sake of love, that's not God-like love. But neither is it God-like love to say, well, I'm just going to make a point and I've got to be right no matter what. That's not God-like love either. God-like love is somehow the perfect balance between I love you, God will love you through me, but I will not compromise the truth for your sake or for his glory. And by the Spirit of God, we wrestle with those things. We wrestle with those things. So we're able to love this way first because God is love, and then secondly, God has given us a perfect demonstration of this kind of love in his Son. He's given us a picture of the cross. Now, thirdly, I, I think it's real tempting for us at this point to say, man, I hear all this, Pastor Mike, and i got to be honest, I, don't, I just don't know if I can love that way. Just keep reading. Verse 11. 
So John continues on. He says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And it gets really particular here in verse 12. We're going to camp out in verse 12 for just a second. So he, he goes this. He says, really a shocking statement. He says, no one has seen God at any time, verse 12. What do you mean by that, John? By the way, John says the same thing in chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. No one has seen God at any time. He's meaning that God the Father has never been seen with human eyes on earth. The essence of who God is has never been seen on earth. So in John chapter 1, the gospel, John says that in verse 18. And then he says, but Jesus, the Son of God, has revealed him, manifest him. So God took on flesh and walked among the world to reveal who God was. That's John chapter 1. Stay with me. But then he comes over in John, 1 John chapter 4 and uses the exact same statement and says, no one has seen God at any time. Well, then, Jesus is not walking around in the world anymore, so how are people ever going to see who God is? Stay with me, verse 12. If we love one another, then God is abiding in us, and his love is perfected in us. That is a massive statement. I can't even begin to say all that's in verse 12. It's almost like the climax of this whole book. John is saying, what's this? In the same way that God revealed who he was by sending his son and his son taking on skin and walking in the world so that the world could say, yes, that's what God is like. Now we, the body of Christ are the place that the world is to be able to see. That's what God is like. That's what the love of God is like as you and I love one another. Wow. Wow. So here's your third point of application. Your third big idea is this. God's love is perfected in us as he loves others through us. See, this word perfect is used in verse 12. And you say, I'm not really sure what that means, the word perfect. It doesn't mean flawless. It doesn't mean without any, it doesn't mean that. It literally means to reach an intended goal. It means to take something from where it is and it reaches its intended goal. When Jesus hung on the cross, when he died, he exclaimed, it is finished, which was the phrase tetelestai, which is the same word perfect, which means I've brought to completion the plan of God. You can't add anything to it. The fulfillment of God's plan. Here he's saying, what's this? When God's people regularly and continually learn to practice love toward one another, God says, my very love is reaching its intended goal in you. It was never just to stop with you. Ever. He said, I've shed abroad my love in you that I could love through you. And as we learn in community to love one another with all of its challenges and all of its difficulties and all of its weird people and all of the ups and downs, God says, listen, that's the way my love is perfected in you. That has massive implications for us. It has incredible implications for us. It's like this. Let me just put it this way. I wrote it down so I won't mess it up because it is so applicable to you and me. It means this, that you and I cannot personally experience the full measure of God's love or learn to practice his love in isolation from other believers. <laughs> well, I got a couple of amens. The rest of you are like, I don't know about that one. 
God says the way my love is perfected in you is as you consistently and regularly through the power of the Spirit in you learn to love one another in the body of Christ. And it's hard and it's challenging and there's difficulties and you have to lay down your preferences and you have to lay down your time and you have to sacrifice and all that because of the power of Christ in you. But as you do that, the love of God that is poured in you comes out of you and God says, then you know my perfect love in you. Isn't that awesome? Let me tell you how practical this is for you and me. We live in an age where it's really easy for people to say, yeah, I know God, I love God, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but this thing is real personal to me, and I'm just going to kind of do my own thing apart from the body of Christ. That is unbiblical, according to 1 John chapter 4. The love that God has shed abroad in your heart is never intended merely for you. It is to move through you, in you, and into the lives of other people, starting with the very people of God. See that? The idea that I can have a dynamic, growing love relationship with God apart from active, regular, consistent engagement with God's people is a myth. And some of you right now are struggling in your walk with the Lord and you're struggling with even an awareness of His love in your life and you don't know why. And one of the reasons may be that you are living, circling the perimeter of God's people and will not step into active engagement into the lives of other people. Because it's scary and it's hard and it's challenging and God says, that's the way I intend my love in you to work. And some of you may be, able, may be saying, Pastor Mike, you don't know some situations that are going on in my life that I have loved and I have shown love and I've been faithful and I've received nothing in return and I'm at the point that my love tank is out. I got nothing left to give and I understand what you're saying. But listen to me, it may be that when God gets you at the end of your human capacity of love, it is only then that you learn to love supernaturally. You get that? That's pretty good. I might say that again. Are you living and loving out of your human capacity to love or your superhuman capacity of love that is the Spirit of God living inside of you? And the only way that happens is when you embrace and by faith walk into these difficult love situations that even exist within the family of God that we learn to practice the love of God. Lone Ranger Christians... Lone Ranger Christians will be stunted in your experience of God's love and will be stunted in your capacity to love others. Listen, I talk to a lot of young people, and I got a bunch of young people in my house. And I, I talk to some young people who are preparing for marriage, and they're wanting to get married, and they're, they're talking about, I just got to find that right person, and I hope I find that right person. If you're here, and you're single, and you're looking for that right person, and you know God, let me tell you the first thing you need to do, and I think the thing that will help you prepare for marriage more than anything else, you immerse yourself within the body of Christ and learn to love. I'm serious. Because you're going to hit year one of marriage and you're going to realize how selfish you are. All of us, I say the same thing to me, but it's in the body of Christ that we learn to love one another. And we learn to experience the love of God in our lives and His love flows out into the lives of other people. Are you learning to love like that? It doesn't happen in isolation. 
That's why we have study groups and life groups and now we have these platforms created where you can immerse your life in the lives of other believers. They're not just a program. They're essential to you fully knowing the love of God and being able to live that love out. Pastor Mike, you're about done. You're preaching too much. I get it. Verse 16 says, we have come to know the love We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us over time. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God. And by this, his love is perfected in us. Verse 17, by by this love is perfected in us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in the world. What does that mean? That means as you immerse yourself in biblical community and you learn to love and God's love is perfected in you, it's a circular effect and it gives you confidence before the very throne of God. Not because you've achieved anything, but because you know that you are loved. Because you're able to love other people. He says, we have confidence now. We have confidence in the day that Jesus is going to return. And then the last application point, we'll be finished, is this. <laughs> not only in, can we not know the full measure of God's love in isolation. Here's the other way God's rigged it. God's rigged it like this, that God's people are called to proclaim his love and be a living picture of his love at the same time. We, we as a church want to be a church that lives on mission. We as a church want to be a church that goes and proclaims with our mouth the gospel of Christ. And we want to make Jesus known in our neighbors and nations and all. We want to be that kind of church. We proclaim the message of the gospel. But at the same time, First John is teaching, we are to be a picture of the love of God that validates the message that we're sharing. Where, where do you see that? Verse 20 says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he's seen cannot love the God whom he has not seen. John says back in the verse, he says, when we love one another, it is as if the world sees there's the love of God put on display. You see that? I'm going to ask the team to come on up and just to begin to play, and we're going to move into response time. And It's challenging this morning, I know that, but I want to end with this closing illustration. So some of you guys know, I think a, a group of us left Tri-Cities a few weeks ago. We traveled to Israel. We spent 10 days in the nation of Israel. Just an incredible trip. We hope to be able to take that trip every two years, and maybe some of you guys could be a part of that. But one of the things we saw in the nation of Israel, you've seen this on TV and you've heard about it. And go ahead and put the picture up is this. In Jerusalem, there's something called the Wailing Wall. Now all those people gathered around the Wailing Wall are there, and they are putting their hands on that wall and they're putting little notes of prayers in that wall and the reason is is because those people primarily orthodox Jews believe that that is the holiest place on earth the wailing wall and they believe that because just over that wall the top of that wall there's an area where the temple used to be it's not there anymore but the Solomon's temple and Herod's temple within that the holy of holies in other words that's where God manifests his presence on earth and these people are there because they think what's this this is as close as I can get on earth to the manifested presence of God and I'm sitting there with that group and I'm watching this and, and it, it hit me 1 John chapter 4 says that's not the closest place you can get to the manifested presence of God. 
First John says, no one has seen God at any time. But when we love one another, it is God abiding in us. In other words, when we love one another, the world is to see the very manifestation of God in the world. It's you. And it's me. It's his body on earth loving one another that the world is to hear the message of Jesus and see the message of Jesus lived out and say, my, how they love one another. And as they peer in, they say, I do not see that kind of love anywhere in the world. I want that kind of love. And the Spirit of God uses it to draw men and women to himself. We. The people of God, as we love one another by the power of the Spirit, manifest to the world the love of God for them to see. Beloved, let us love one another. It's a big deal. It's how God perfects His love in you. It's how God demonstrates His love to the world that's watching. Will you pray with me? Just bow your head there for a minute. We're going to stand and sing a song of really of response and I, I hope a song of repentance and confession for some of us just right there for a minute with your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a second I, it's hard for me to believe that we can walk through a passage like this that's so challenging to our hearts and there not be some responses in our hearts and our lives today is this kind of love demonstrated in your life this kind of love demonstrated in my life. Lord, am I growing in love like this? God, am I pursuing my brothers and sisters in Christ like this to learn how to love, to receive love, to demonstrate the love of God? Or am I lone ranger Christian just orbiting around the perimeter? Are you growing in this kind of love? Is there a relationship in particular within this body of Christ that you know is gone crossways and they're a brother or sister and you've done nothing to go make that right love says go make it right initiate and our prayer is that our prayer is that by the power of Jesus in us the world would have to say man how they love one another to the glory of God Jesus we need you we can't love like this left to ourselves. We cannot love sacrificially, supernaturally with a God-like love. Do this work in us to your glory. Father, I pray for anyone under the sound of our voice right now that does not know you. They do not know this kind of love in their own life. That this morning, even in the singing of the song, they would be overwhelmed by the love of God and respond in faith to the gift of salvation through Jesus. We love you. We need you. And we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.